This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Brady D. Brady D is back on the mic for Matt Scalina. And I am not surprised that Matt Scalina is not here. <laughs> Why is that? I have not seen Matt Scalina in a couple days. And uh, What do you mean? He recorded the podcast yesterday with Dustin. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Minus yesterday. I haven't seen him around. He's been busy. I've been busy. And he just didn't show up today. Yeah. No yeah. call, no text. Matt, should, should we send a search party out? I I feel like we should. I feel like we should. Ah, give it another week. You know what? Though we got a don't don't you have him on your Find My Phone uh, app? Can't we locate Matt? <laughs> no, that's just let's my see, wife. Let's see where he is right now. Imagine <laughs> we pulled him up and he's like sitting on Third Beach drinking a beer. I have a feeling that might be where he actually is. Uh, anyways, we're both really busy and uh, it's a busy spring market, and we wanted to actually talk about the spring market. Before we get to our interview with today's guest, Dustin yeah. Woodhouse. We got some stats, don't we? Exactly. And the stats just came out for March. So really exciting seeing where the market's at. So we'll talk about that. And Dustin Woodhouse is on the show today, award-winning mortgage broker, fan favorite for sure. And uh, yeah. one of my favorite guests to yeah, have he's on one the of show the, for sure. One of the top guests, uh, won't top as far as numbers that we've had before eh? like oh for sure he's up there he's yeah up there. yeah him and francis bula if they got their own radio show watch out <laughs> dustin woodhouse and francis bula linked together that would be something um anyway so maybe just quickly we got these we got the stats yep and uh we were talking about just 
the big news story here is everybody's been watching the detached market on the east side and the west side. Yeah. Because those seem to be the markets that were hit the hardest when the foreign buyers tax was announced, right? Yeah. And so now we've still got low inventory, but we've also got this spring market upon us. So what's going on with the with the detached market? Well, let's talk about East Van a bit. So last month it was about thirteen percent sales ratio, which meant about one in ten homes were selling, which okay. meant so that's a buyer's market. Mm-hmm. Um, now we have uh, just got these stats, 24% sales ratio in East Vancouver. It's now firmly planted in a seller's market. Okay, so is that just the spring market though? Is It could be just the spring market. Like I think a lot of people are back out looking for homes. It could also be the fact that condos and townhomes have been so strong that we're getting to that price point where people are saying, at what point does it make sense to now go and just look for a detached house. Right, right. Right. I mean, there's always that. But it is interesting to consider that it, up to about 1.75 in East Vancouver, so $1.75 million, it is over a 50% sales ratio in all price bands. Wow. So seller's market. It's a, an aggressive seller's market right up to 1.75. So what's kind of bringing that number down is kind of the top end of the market. So think about houses around the $2 million and up price point in East Vancouver. That's expensive for East Vancouver. Yeah, that's right? that's luxury in East that's a That's a new house that's on a standard lot. It could be a view home. Maybe a um, duplex lot. Perhaps, exactly. So... That's kind of a one big story that came out of the stats. The second big story, looking at detached on the west side. So we've got an 18% sales ratio on the west side, which means almost two out of 10 homes are selling. That's yep. a balanced market. Uh, so, you know, there's still opportunities out there for buyers, but it's it's not a bad situation for sellers to be in as well. Okay, so break that down for us. So, um, okay, so basically all the markets up to $4 million are strong, and that's like north of 30% sales ratio strong. Wow. Uh, so, you know, a lot of buyers on the west side up to that $4 million price band. And once you get up over $5 bucks, there's a lot of homes that are just sitting. Okay, so that's the luxury market on the west side. Clearly. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, we're. I hope we're not beating a dead horse here on this podcast where we we talk about the fact that you know all the more local markets or low to mid entry level markets in the detached uh, housing sector is it's busy. It's busy. It's it's very active. It's that high end price point that um, seems to be lagging. Yeah. 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 And, I mean, you guys have been saying for a long time that, you know, it's it's not like this is this is just going to all of a sudden crash. People want to live here. And I think oh. Dustin Dustin mentions that too. He goes he goes into detail. Dustin's about- got some great stories. In fact, it, it's almost we call it an interview, but I think we ask him one question <laughs> and then Dustin Woodhouse does what Dustin Woodhouse does for th- about 25 minutes and it's awesome. I think we're actually going to just rename the show to the Dustin Woodhouse show. <laughs> Excellent. Well, hey, without further ado, why don't we get to our interview with uh, award-winning mortgage broker, all-time favorite guest, Dustin Woodhouse. Sounds good. Okay, so we're here with one of our favorite guests, mortgage broker, Dustin Woodhouse from Dominion Lending Centers. Welcome back, Dustin. Thanks, guys. Good to be back. Yeah, thanks for taking the time, Dustin. And just quickly, Dustin, a quick note. Congratulations, uh, number seven in Canada for Dominion Lending Centers out of, uh, I think it's 
2,200 brokers? 2,200, number seven. Huge. Not, not bad numbers, Dustin. Congrats. Well, yeah, well, I appreciate that. But, you know, as my son's going to tell me when I get home tonight, uh, way to go, Dad. You're the sixth loser. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Man, that's tough. <laughs> that, that kid would keep me motivated. Yeah. Uh, we keep each other motivated. We we of course say that tongue in cheek. I mean, it's, yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> But can we can we hire him for Matt as a business <laughs> yeah, coach? I'm like, that will snap me out of bed <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> so we wanted to have you on. Uh, stats were just released. Um, we've kind of been chatting around the office about them, and uh, yeah, March stats came out today. Right. So you know, we we've seen that the market. You know, we've we're about what seven or eight months or so since the foreign buyers tax. There's been a lot of doom and gloom, but uh, the market seems relatively strong. What are your thoughts, Dustin? Um, well, I mean, uh, to, to start off, actually, on a, on a quick note on the foreign buyers tax, um, my wife and I were involved in um, an offer on a half duplex in North Vancouver around that time. And there were six of us, and then that tax comes out, and five of us basically walked away. And we're all you know, multi-generation Canadians, we're not foreign buyers, but I think I, I can't speak for the other parties that walked away, but certainly for us and, and many of my clients uh, that I work with, we all just kind of went, well, geez, I don't know what this is going to do to the market. We better sure. just not do anything. And so everything just sort of stopped. And it wasn't so much that Suddenly, foreign buyers weren't buying, uh, you know, their 80% of the pro- properties they were buying because they were never buying 80% of the properties. They were buying 5 or 6% of the properties. And then the stats that are being reported got radically skewed because the province had that one-week window in which you could complete your foreign buyer transaction without triggering the tax. And there was a mad scramble. And I know of several cases, uh, not my own, because I don't really see that many foreign buyers, but talking with lawyers. I know several lawyers that had several dozen people calling them out of the blue, finding somebody who could suddenly move the dates and complete the transaction, transactions that were as far as three or four months out in that week. So the system got gamed a little bit there because all of a sudden the government's able to say, you know, in the months following that, oh, look, foreign buyer purchases have fallen off a cliff. There's none. And look how many there were before we brought the tax. It's like, well, yeah, guys, like the 90 to 120 days out were the transactions all got sucked back into that one week window so that people could save tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. So those stats really got skewed by the way that was handled. And that's not a story you're ever going to see. Mm-hmm. Like what I just mapped out, I've never read it in a newspaper, but that's how it really played out. And, you know, at the end of the day, is a 15% tax really going to slow people down? I mean, a 33% increase in property values hadn't slowed anybody down. So <laughs> why would another 15% suddenly stop things? As I say, I think it more had an effect on all the non-foreign buyers. Everyone just wasn't sure what was going to happen. Um, but I think the bigger reason the market's been cool, and I was, it's funny, I was speaking in Toronto uh, to 600 brokers just a few weeks ago, and the guy right before me was speaking on behalf of CMHC, and he touched on a foreign buyer tax and talked about how incredibly cool the market has been in Vancouver since this tax came in. 
And so I got up and I explained, uh, I took a chance to ad lib at the beginning of my presentation and I explained what I just explained about, well, you know, August, September, October kind of skewed because the transactions got pulled back into that, that one week. And then when we got into December, we had a millimeter of snow and we had a millimeter of more than a millimeter, but you know, to, to Toronto, it was like a millimeter. Hmm. And so the thing is we had that millimeter of snow kept showing up every day for like 90 days. We had snow and ice on our roads and in Vancouver, nobody has snow tires, nobody has snow shovels, snow boots, nothing. And so the weather had a massive impact on the real estate market. You know, I mean, you, you guys have talked about it and I'm sure you know as well as anybody, right? I mean, things just, they froze literally and metaphorically. And the city of Vancouver and, ran out of salt too. Yeah. Don't forget. <laughs> yeah. Never forget. <laughs> Never forget. But well, it is true. I've been talking to a lot of realtors who, especially in early March, you know, the, the, a lot of the talk was it's, you know, usually the spring market's starting to ramp up here in it, but it just doesn't feel like spring. So, uh, everything's been kind of pushed, pushed back this year for sure due to the weather. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know one weekend in January, uh, I think it was January, my wife and I went to go look at a property and um, it was just such a slog, you know, to get across town, find a parking spot where you could step out of the car, get like we're on our way there. And I'm like, I, I love real estate. I want to buy another investment property, but even I just want to go back home and sit in front of the fire. Like I, I'm not even up for this. So, you know, I think the only transactions that were happening were transactions that really, really needed to happen. You know, you had really motivated buyers, really motivated sellers uh, that, you know, they, they had to make some kind of move. But there, there wasn't that uh, that sort of spring wheat fever, fever that people get on the weekend when you have a beautiful sunny weekend. People get out driving around randomly and looking at for sale signs and open houses and, and away things go. And so I've said repeatedly in my uh, my own blog post over the past few months that each snowfall was the slingshot getting pulled back a little bit further and a little bit further and boy oh boy once spring springs which you know as soon as we get out of uh, some of this rain doldrums we get two or three beautiful sunny weekends in a row things are gonna just go nuts and uh, and really you already saw it start to happen for march right i mean the snow and ice went away and look at the sales stats, pretty significant increases in most areas. Right? Yeah, well, and even in, you know, Adam and I were talking before we went live about East Vancouver, say the detached market, which has been on a continual slide, um, and it's up 2% in March. Yeah, and it's a seller's market in, in many of the different areas in East Vancouver as well. It, yeah, near 4% yeah. in condos in East Van. So, I mean, we're seeing, it seems like the market... Everyone that was waiting for the big drop here, um, at least based on what we're looking at right now, it definitely feels like confidence is back and uh, and there's some stability in the market here. Well, you know, the big, the big drop, it just wasn't ever going to come because what triggers the big drop is a whole bunch of supply, a whole bunch of people who need to sell. And so you have all this excess supply that outweighs demand. Well, you know, we're looking at record low listings again, month after month, it seems. 
um, which is also what's keeping sales down to some extent. There just isn't anything to buy. I mean, I, I know I know many realtors who have you know a dozen buyers or more, and they can't find anything to sell them. Like there, there just isn't much out there right now. And my wife and I went through a detached house, 1.2 million ask in Port Moody uh, two weekends ago. And uh, there were 73 people through it the day before, and there had been 60 people through in like the first hour, the second day that we were there. So, you know, the demand, uh, it's pent up and it's there. And we're going to see that, I think, in April's numbers and certainly May. I think we're going to have an incredibly strong spring sales to listing ratio-wise. The numbers may not be that high because there just may not be enough to be sold. And, and as I say, I mean, going back to what I was saying, that's, that's the only time you're going to see a price drop is when nobody's buying anything and there's too much supply out there. And, you know, I heard a really interesting stat a couple months back that by the year 2040, only 10% of local uh, families in the greater Vancouver area will live in detached homes. Yeah, I think I saw that stat as well. Right. 90% based on population growth, the amount of land we have to build detached homes on and the current pace that we are building detached homes, which is a, a snail's pace, um, 90% are going to be living in multifamily properties, condos, apartments, and townhouses. And I can tell you, not all 90% are going to be happy about that. And there's going to be a lot of very well-qualified strong income, significant down payment. Don't forget we're on the cusp of, the, the in the history of the world, the greatest wealth transfer from one generation to another ever. Right. I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars will be flowing from one generation to another over the next 20 years. And a lot of that is going to flow, you know, through real estate. But I think it's it's really interesting when people uh, you know speculate about these price drops that they think are imminently coming. And I can go all the way back to 1995 when my wife and I bought our first house, and uh, we paid $168,000 for that house, and the seller had paid 42,000 for it 11 years earlier. It had gone up 400% in 11 years. Clearly. A bubble. Yeah. Obviously, unsustainable growth. I hope and you paying didn't buy that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, paying a, yeah, exactly. I mean, thank, thank goodness we didn't listen to the uh, conventional wisdom that, you know, interest rates were about to go up and house prices were about to go down. And I've heard that kind of nonsense every year for 22 years since we bought that house. I've heard the same things every year. Well, rates can't go any lower. Well, yeah, they can. Well, they can't stay low for long. Well, yeah, they actually can. Well, house prices can't go any higher. They absolutely can go higher, and they will go higher. And, I mean, the thing is, we were making 48000 a year. That was our household income, and we took on a $1,600 a month mortgage payment because interest rates dictated that that was the payment at the time. Today, a $1,600 a month mortgage payment, it gets you as much as $400,000 worth of mortgage money. Right. And the thing is, what a lot of people don't think about, like, I mean, one of our old homes, we paid two seventy four in 97. Um, we moved a couple of years later because, of course, we, we multiplied. So there were more bodies in the house. We needed a bigger house. Um, but we paid two seventy for that house in 97. 
it was relisted last spring for a million dollars. And the old crusty part of my brain went, a million dollars? That's ridiculous. Who pay a million dollars for that place? And that's what a lot of the public does, right? They, they look at it through their own experience. Well, I only paid this much for that, so it can't be worth quadruple. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And we think about like what our mortgage payment was. You know, that was like a two thousand dollar a month mortgage payment when we bought it for two seventy. That was a big deal. But we're not aware of what the numbers are today. So today, you have school teachers, nurses, firefighters, and policemen. What those four people have in common is an income of about eighty-six to one hundred and five thousand, sort of in that range, each. And they all marry each other. <laughs> we consistently see, you know, lots of pair bonding within those groups. Yeah. So in other words, there's a lot of regular folks, like these are not, you know, brain surgeons, uh, you know, making a million dollars a year. These are regular people with regular jobs, of which there are plenty of those jobs and plenty of those people. And their combined household income is $170,000 to $210,000. And a million-dollar property with 5% down, well, it's you know, roughly a $4,000 a month mortgage payment. Uh, wait, pardon me, you can't buy a million dollars with 5% down anymore. It's now 10% down. So a $900,000 mortgage. Um, so it's roughly a $4,000 a month payment. And 4000 a month sounds crazy to me, but I was making 4800 not 200 grand. Right. If you have a $200,000 household income, that 4000 a month payment, and the house has a basement suite renting for fifteen, sixteen hundred, dollars well, now you're down to $2,500, $2,400 a month. That's thirty grand a year in payments on a $200,000 household income. That's, that's doable. And the supply is limited and will continue to be limited. So it's not like the price of that house is going to go down anytime soon. It's only going to go up because people can afford it so, easily. So what, and what do you say to, because you constantly see talk about debt service ratios being way out of whack. Uh, you, you kind of just addressed it, but it sounds like you're, you're not buying that. Well, so the, the, actually I think what you're referring to is the debt to income. That's the phrase we hear, right? Debt to income? Is that what you're thinking of? Yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, that they usually have, uh, you know, that uh, traditionally um, X amount should go towards housing. And in Lower Mainland, it's way out. It's debt to income, is is it? Well, I mean, there's, so yeah, so there's your your debt servicing ratio they talk about. and, And I mean, whose opinion is that based on? Like, I've been to other parts of Canada. I won't single out any other part of Canada in particular. I'll just say other parts of Canada, east of the Tri-Cities, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, east, east of Kelowna. We're looking at you, um, Winnipeg. You know, <laughs> well, you know, and you get, in, you get into a lot of these places, and, like, they have some pretty long, harsh winters. Like, they're long, they're cold, they're dark, they're ugly, like they're and kind of like the winter we actually just have, but we don't normally have winters like that, do we? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've gone hiking up in Squamish with my wife. I remember a, it was a Facebook reminded me, uh, you know, like a year ago, uh, the second week of March, we were in tank top and shorts, and we hiked up to the top of the Sea of Sky gondola. 
And, you know, that, that's, that's amazing. So I always say, like in Vancouver, you're not paying the price you're paying for your real estate for the square footage inside the walls. You're paying for the square footage outside the walls because you've got an ocean, you've got mountains, you've got lakes, you've got access to the U.S. You've got all kinds of amazing things going on in this city that you maybe don't realize until you go spend some time in other cities and other provinces. And like, no disrespect to those cities, but as I say, winter is longer and harsher. And uh, it's it's not quite as dynamic of an environment uh, in, in many different senses of the word. So they do look at us like we're a little bit crazy. And so some economist sitting in a rural part of Ontario or Quebec looks at the numbers for what a Vancouverite's paying for his, his, his or her home and thinks we're crazy because we're paying 10, 20, 30, 40% more uh, on a monthly basis than somebody in Quebec or Ontario. But the thing is, we don't need three Jamaican vacations a, a year to get over living where we live. We don't need any vacation. Like we live in a spot where most of the people come for vacation. It's, it's, it's a pretty tough spot to beat, really. And yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a raving fan of Vancouver. I mean, it's hard not to be. And the more I travel, the bigger a fan I am right. of Vancouver. Um, so, so sure, we pay more for housing, but I think we get more for our money, ultimately. And and on the debt-to-income ratio, I mean, that's always an interesting topic because, you know, the newspapers love to make a headline about how our debt-to-income ratio is now 167%. That's in line with what it was in the U.S. when they triggered their whole meltdown. Right. Okay, but that really had very little to do with what triggered the meltdown. That's a totally different story. It's like saying a certain percentage of the population had blue eyes when they had the meltdown, and now we have that same number of blue-eyed people. Well, really? Like, I mean, maybe I'm stretching it a little bit, but the thing is that debt-to-income ratio is a little bit skewed. So I'll give you a quick scenario, and then I won't ramble on any longer. But I think you'll like this scenario. Please do. If you stop somebody on the street who makes $100,000 a year, and or pardon me, stop somebody on the street and, and say to them, I want to give you a quick example and tell me what you think. We have a, a household income of $100,000 a year. They're going to take on a $2,000 a month mortgage payment. Does that sound okay? Now, 100 grand a year is about 8,300 a month gross. Well, 2,000 a month for a mortgage payment. Yeah, that's not irresponsible. That's not dangerous. That seems pretty reasonable. That's about 25% of your income. Um, yeah, yeah, that's okay. Okay, so, so great. So we're okay. So hold that thought. What if it was 2600 a month that they took on? Well, you know, that's getting a little more spendy, but, uh, you know, 8300 a month gross and taxes. And, I mean, it might get a little tighter, you know? Like, uh, you know, they might not be able to go to the keg once a month. They might only go once every second month. Um, so yeah, still, still acceptable. Well, here's the thing, a $2,000 a month mortgage payment, that's a payment on a $500,000 mortgage. 2,600 a month is a payment on that same mortgage five years from now, if interest rates have doubled, your payment only goes up 30% if interest rates go up 100% from where they are currently. 
And five years from now, that 100,000 household, they probably have an extra 7,200 a year coming in. Over five years, their income has probably risen from 100 to 107. So they'll probably be able to, or 110, let's say, to allow for taxes. They'll probably be able to get away with adjusting for that payment. And if the 2% annual raise would do the trick. Mm -hmm. But even if they didn't get the raise, they'd probably be okay. They're certainly not in danger of losing their house. So a doubling of interest rates isn't the end of the world. 2000 a month payment for the 100000 household, that's not the end of the world. Let's go back to that debt-to-income ratio, 167%. That's a scary number. Well, actually, a $100,000 income and a $500,000 mortgage, that's a 500% debt-to-income ratio. But are you really worried about having a 500% debt-to-income ratio? No, you're not. I mean, you can afford two grand a month. And heck, if that house had a suite that you're renting for even 800 bucks a month, well, now you're laughing. Yeah. So, you know, the media makes this big noise about this debt-to-income ratio, like it's some kind of metric we're supposed to really hang our hats on as, as vital. I mean, my own debt-to-income ratio is well over a 1,000% because I own multiple properties. Now, the tenants pay the rent, which is exceeding the mortgage payment, so that the tenants are paying those properties off, but it's my debt. It's in my name. And my income, the way it's calculated, that's that's just how it comes out. And I mean, I sleep like a baby with my thousand percent <laughs> debt income ratio. I'm okay, you know, yeah, and, I'm, and I'm not worried. And, and no one would, no one would look at my overall financial picture and say, "Oh yeah, this guy's living on the edge of disaster." Not at all. But but you know, that's the media. They they love to freak us out. Something scary is about to happen. And uh, at the end of the day, and I mean at the end of this podcast, maybe, nothing scary is about to happen. Nothing wild is about to happen. Tomorrow is going to look a lot like today. Today looks a lot like yesterday. There's not going to be some sudden 25, 20, 15% drop in values. Certainly not in the next 90 days. The next 90 days is when everybody's going to be out there trying to find something to buy. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing it already. I mean, the, the last month has been very, very busy. Yes, it has. And uh, and as I say, I mean, I'm glad it's raining outside today because that's, that's keeping a little bit of a damper on the market. But, boy, oh, boy, a sunny weekend is going to be painful <laughs> for everybody in the business. <laughs> Dustin, just just quickly before we let you go, you were also talking about some changes. What What is the biggest change that, that buyers need to be aware of now um, that there has been some crackdown from the federal government on, on financing? Well, I think that... that at this point, most people are, are hopefully aware because these changes came into play in October of last year. But basically, anybody purchasing with less than a 20% down payment uh, had a new stress test put into the equation by the government that reduced their pre-approved mortgage amount by 20%. So the maximum they could have borrowed has been cut back by 20%. Now, the good news is for most households, especially the dual income households, uh, Canadians are very conservative and very few are actually bumping up anywhere near the limit or even 20% within the limit of what 
they qualified to borrow. Again, contrary to what you would hear in the media, most Canadians borrow a lot less than they qualify for, with the exception being single-income households. And so it's kind of ironic that the single-income household uh, is being punished extra aggressively, but they are. And, uh, and so the cooling effect they were hoping would be achieved you're not going to see that to any great extent in Vancouver or Toronto. Toronto is in, in enjoying a 37-year record low supply. 37-year mm-hmm. all-time low for supply. There's just nothing to buy. So, you know, you, you, until you bring more supply into the market, you're just not going to see prices ease off. And you know, the Fed can keep trying to chop buyers' ability to finance back uh, further and further, but what they're doing is they're really hammering the rest of the nation. You know, small town Canada has the preponderance of single income households. And, you know, sure, a house in Lindsay, Ontario is only $270,000, but the average income is maybe only $40,000, $45,000. So they've, people were just squeaking through to qualify to buy a detached house in Lindsay. And now they've been told, oh, sorry, I know it was 270 the other day, but now it's 216. That's your maximum. Well, there are no houses for 216 in Lindsay. So they're out of luck. And, and so, as I say, it's, it's markets like that that are really taking it on the chin. In Atlantic Canada, January 2016, you had 9,000 housing starts. January 2017, less than 900. That's a lot of people not working. Yeah, Whew. yeah, those are scary and it's numbers. Not that they, well, yeah, and it's not that they couldn't sell them if they could build them, but with that twenty percent haircut, people, it, it, the metrics don't work anymore. Yeah, because it isn't even about inflated property values in the Atlantic provinces. It's about the land costs X and the labor and the materials costs Y and Z and. You, know, you want to build a house, it's going to be this much money. There's, you know, I mean, a $400,000 apartment in Vancouver, there's a $109,000 of taxes in that $400,000 price tag. You know, so there's, there's the answer. The government wants to knock prices back by 25% on new properties. They could waive all taxes on new construction and instantly make everything 25% cheaper. But they're not going to do that anytime soon. They can't. They're running, what, a $23 billion deficit this year? Yeah, right. They can't afford to. And, of course, isn't that ironic? By the way, the federal government's debt-to-income ratio? <laughs> yeah, you don't ask. 363%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, right? So, 363. Hey, like, really, guys? <laughs> so, hey, Dustin, we, we have to leave on a high note here. So we, we have this new segment. It's called the five wire. Will you stick around for that? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So first question, what's your favorite area in Vancouver? Favorite area in the, for, 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 for living real estate wise? If somebody said to you, where's your favorite neighborhood to hang yeah. around? Yeah. Well, fair enough. So, I mean, on the weekends, I live up in Anmore, uh, which most people go, where's that? And, uh, and I love it. I mean, I'm not loving the bear traps and the cougar traps that are set up all around us right now. That's a, a little crazy. Um, but you know what? It's quiet. It's on the edge of the mountains. I got lakes. I got hiking and riding trails. It's 
pretty tough to beat. Um, but the other five days a week, I, I kind of would be happy right downtown around, you know, Maine and Fifth. You know, plant me right down there in the heart of all that great, uh, you know, whining and dining and hanging around. I, I like that culture a lot. All right. Sounds good. Number two, uh, favorite restaurant or bar? Well, I stopped drinking a few years ago, so I haven't been to a bar in an awful long time. Um, so I guess I, I maybe got to lean more towards a restaurant. And I should know Fair the enough. name of it. It's a Lebanese place on commercial, and the name escapes me, but... Uh, we were just there a few weeks ago. It was fantastic. Or, um, you know what, put it this way, all three that I would list are all on Commercial Drive. And really, anybody who hasn't been down to Commercial Drive, what are you thinking? Yeah. Get down there and just start at one end and come back every weekend and work your way to the other end. So, Dustin, downtown Penthouse or Westside Mansion? Oh, downtown Penthouse. Yeah. All day long. I've, we've lived on a half acre to one acre for the last 20 years, man. I'm done with big yards. Uh, and my wife would absolutely laugh out loud if she heard me say that because she does everything to do with the yard. Uh, the running joke in our house is I do mortgages and my wife does everything else. Um, <laughs> Sounds but, uh, like my real estate career. Yeah. 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 But penthouse downtown, I, I, I do it for my wife. No Perfect. more yard work. <laughs> uh where do you take someone from out of town first place if i can i take them to whistler great doesn't matter what time of year it is i mean that's that's where i want to get them to if i'm not going all the way to whistler i'm going to take them up grouse mountain all right and uh dogs or cats oh i, I probably have to lean more towards the dog i knew it i knew dustin woodhouse was a dog man. <laughs> I knew How it. did you know that? Did... I, well, I... you know what? Cats are cats are so low maintenance. You gotta love that, right? Like they just they require nothing of you. But there's something about that crazy unconditional love that is, uh, you know, pretty tough to beat that a dog gives you. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about a guy that spends his time riding up and down mountains uh, every I... weekend that doesn't strike me as a cat. People guy. people hike with their cats, man. <laughs> All right, Dustin. Well, <laughs> hey, how can people reach you? Uh, you can track me down at dustinwoodhouse.ca. Excellent. Well, hey, thanks again yeah, for your thanks, time. Dustin. It's always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, that was great. I'll get off my soapbox now. Thanks again. <laughs> okay. Okay, take, take care, care. Dustin. So there you have it, folks, our interview with Dustin Woodhouse of Dominion Lending Centers. Dustin Woodhouse is always a super interesting guest. Super happy to have him back on the program. Uh, great advice. Two biggest takeaways for me, Braden. Okay. One is clearly Dustin doesn't think the spring market has sprung, right? He's no. he's saying that you know we've been under ice, we've now been under dark clouds and rain, and uh, he thinks once we get a couple nice weekends, we're going to just completely, uh, the market's going to pop off and... and I think he's probably right. I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, his analogy I mean, about the slingshot, I really like that. Right, like it's it's been the worst weather we have, the further the slingshot goes back, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, which is, is kind of scary thinking about it that way. Um, the other thing that's interesting is that he, he talks about how over time uh, people looking at properties, especially if they've lived in Vancouver and they have Vancouver experience, it's very hard to buy a property if you know what the previous price points were and, and to and to accept the fact that the property still might go up 
even if you think it has been at uh, you know an all-time high or a, a huge increase in the past. Yeah, like when you look at a property and, and you're looking at you know $600,000 one-bedroom condo and the person that sure. bought it, that's selling it right now, bought it for, for 300000 300, sure. a couple of years ago, right? And chances are that whoever bought it for 300000 is saying, well, when I bought it for 300000 the person before me bought it for 150000 Yeah. And, and they're thinking, well, what are the chances that this is going to double again and I'm going to make 600000 right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. But, you know, it's a very interesting point. You have to pull back. You have to be objective. And if you're weighing the pros and cons, you have to look at the pros as well as the cons, right? You have to be optimistic about the future of the city. And you have to be uh, not set in in a mindset that's going to limit you based on your lived experience in Vancouver and the past that that may or may not haunt you. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. Excellent. Well, hey, Braden, quickly before we go, thank you so much for all the ratings on on the podcast. We love them. We're well into a hundred reviews and uh, we appreciate them. And the biggest compliment that you can give us is go on to iTunes and give us a rating. Um, And also uh, we got a few more emails for some VREP short ideas. Thank you so much for sending those on. Keep them coming. Keep them coming for sure. There's a lot more VREPs. There's a lot more Sundays in our uh, immediate future and we need topics. So we appreciate that. And Braden, how can people reach you? Uh, you can reach me at Braden at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Well, I guarantee next week Matt's going to be uh, back on and he's going to be back on Sunday V-Rep Short. Back with a vengeance. Back with a vengeance. We're looking forward to next week. Have a great week, guys. We'll see you Sunday. Thanks, guys. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join. 
type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join typing in VRP 2020.